Ukraine reports positive gains in the past few days in the month-old counteroffensive against Russian forces. There is an updated map of the battlefield. They confirmed that certain areas have been already liberated and some areas are almost liberated. Plus, the Kremlin and Kyiv trade accusations of an imminent attack on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Just weeks after conducting emergency response drills, Kyiv warned again that Russia is threatening to attack Europe's biggest nuclear power plant. Moscow has accused Ukraine of doing the same. And later in the program, how a team of volunteer doctors from the United States is joining with Polish and Ukrainian colleagues to help heal the scars of children impacted by Russia's invasion. Today is Wednesday, July 5th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. The Ukrainian counteroffensive against Russian forces has been ramping up, and the Secretary of Ukraine's National Security and Defense Council says the past few days have been particularly fruitful. We have an update from Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. Anna, first, talk about the continued concerns of an attack at the Zaporizhia nuclear power station. What are you hearing? Actually, the concern is growing, and uh, President Zelensky even had a separate statement today. He reminded that the whole world should realize that this is the common security on the global level. He said that radiation has no borders, and if some Something happens, uh, this would affect not only NATO countries even, but it could go beyond NATO. And uh, this is something that everyone should take very seriously. Why this concern is growing? Because Ukrainian intelligence reported that Russian troops have placed objects resembling explosives on the roof of several power units of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. This was confirmed yesterday. And according to Ukrainian intelligence and also what what President Zelensky mentioned that perhaps this could be used to simulate an attack on the plant. So some experts say that it could get more serious than it seems. Some experts say that according to what they see, this should not create the damage of the nuclear power part, but this could look as if Ukraine is shooting the plant. So this is basically what Ukrainian intelligence is also saying, that Russian troops are trying to create this you know, situation and say that Ukrainians are actually shooting the plant. President Zelensky mentioned that Ukrainian forces would never do this and that Ukrainian forces would never break international laws. So he's just making sure that everyone understands what's happening. And of course, concern is growing because no one can be sure. But apparently this looks like a, an explosion object on the roof of the power plant. And are there any updates on the counteroffensive? Uh, it sounds like they're making some progress. Yes, we can analyze the latest statements by the Ukrainian military and also by the Institute for the Study of War and British Intelligence report. The Ukrainian forces seems to have certain success in the area of Bakhmut. And according to Ukrainian intelligence, for instance, Bakhmut would be one of the main targets at this point. Also, the general staff of Ukraine confirmed, and there is an updated map of the battlefield, they confirmed that uh, certain areas have been already 
liberated and some areas are almost liberated and uh, heavy battles are still ongoing. So Ukrainian forces are advancing closer to the city of Bakhmut and in the, in the area surrounding the city of Bakhmut. Also, Ukrainian general staff confirmed that the bridges that were heavily damaged, which are connecting Ukrainian land with Crimea, it was explosion uh, reported some time ago. So Ukrainian general staff confirmed that actually Ukrainian forces used storm shadow missiles to attack these bridges. And this is also goes under the general counteroffensive actions. In addition to this, the commander of the land forces of Ukraine confirmed as well that the counteroffensive is moving according to the plan. He said that Ukraine has still a lot of potential and still the main battles are upcoming. But also he said that everyone should, un- should understand that Ukraine will not hurry up and that the speed that Ukrainian forces are taking is the needed speed. So he just asked for understanding and for patience from everyone who, of course, you know, expect this counteroffensive to be faster. Also, we're hearing that there is a lot going on on the southern front line. And even President Zelensky, during his meeting with Ukrainian commanders, he highlighted that southern front line should be strengthened. And so apparently we can expect more news from the southern front line sometime soon. And of course, NATO allies are preparing for their annual two-day summit coming up next week as Ukraine continues to urge the alliance to fast-track its membership. Are you hearing anything internally there from the Ukrainian president? In Ukraine, this is a very hot topic, of course. Everyone expects this meeting, and President Zelensky previously said that he will attend if certain important decisions for Ukraine would be confirmed and would be taken. For the moment, we do not have any information that he is not coming. So everyone expects President Zelensky to attend this NATO summit. We will see. And there are some positive news are under discussion inside of Ukraine, some positive news from international allies. Internally here in Ukraine, people expect some positive news. And hopefully this positive signs for Ukrainian future in NATO. We will see, but this is a very hot topic topic and in the focus for the next days and upcoming week. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. And as Anna mentioned, Russia and Ukraine are accusing each other of plotting to stage an attack on the Russian-held Zaporizhia nuclear power station, long the subject of mutual recriminations and suspicions. We hear more now from Joel Flynn with Reuters. Ukraine and Russia have accused the other of planning attacks that could set off nuclear disaster. Just weeks after conducting emergency response drills, Kyiv warned again that Russia is threatening to attack Europe's biggest nuclear power plant. Moscow has accused Ukraine of doing the same. The Zaporizhia nuclear power station, seen here in footage released by the Russian National Guard press service, has long been the subject of mutual recriminations and suspicions. Russian troops seized the station in the days following the Kremlin's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Each side has regularly accused the other of shelling around the plant and risking a major nuclear mishap. But in his nightly video message, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Russia was now planning to, quote, simulate an attack on the plant. The whole world must now realize that common security depends entirely on global attention to the actions of the occupiers at the plant. Russia must clearly realize that the world sees the scenarios terrorists are preparing for and the world is ready to respond. Radiation threatens everyone in the world and the nuclear power plant must be fully protected from any radiation incidents. 
In an earlier statement, Ukrainian armed forces quoted operational data as saying that explosive devices had been placed on the roof of the station's third and fourth reactors on Tuesday. A spokesman for Russia's nuclear network operator, meanwhile, said Ukraine planned to drop ammunition laced with nuclear waste transported from another of the country's five nuclear stations on the plant. The UN's nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, has been trying for more than a year to get all sides to agree to demilitarize the plant. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi has visited the plant three times since the Russian takeover, most recently on June the 15th. So far, he's failed to reach any agreement to keep the facility safe from shelling. An advisor to Volodymyr Zelensky reportedly told Ukrainian television that Grossi had proved ineffective. Worries have also grown over the potential for an accident at the plant. That's after a local dam used to cool reactors was destroyed. Last month, pictures were released showing the breach of the Kakova Dam on the Dnipro River. Ukraine said Russia had destroyed a hydroelectric power plant at the site from the inside. Moscow blamed Kyiv. The IAEA said at the time that a local pond meant the plant should still be stable for, quote, some months. Joel Flynn reporting for Reuters. NATO allies are preparing for the annual two-day summit next week in Vilnius, Lithuania, as Ukraine urges the alliance to fast-track its membership. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg confirmed Tuesday that he would extend his term for another year as the West seeks to maintain unity amid Russia's aggression. Henry Ridgewell reports. Ukraine formally applied to join NATO in September in response to Russia's proclaimed annexation of territories it invaded in the east of the country. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has called for NATO to fast-track his country's application at next week's summit. Zelensky said, at the Vilnius summit, we need a very concrete and clear signal that Ukraine could become and has the right to become an equal member of NATO after the war. Ukraine's demand has the backing of several NATO members, including Britain, Poland and the Baltic states. Lithuanian president and summit host Gitanas Nauseda. There is a need to just create the corridor, procedures, algorithms, how to proceed if the war is over, or as we call, as, as conditions allow. But some NATO allies, notably the United States and Germany, have not yet endorsed fast-tracking Ukraine's membership. There are questions such as how would NATO's Article 5 on collective self-defense apply to a country at war with Russia. Fabrice Potier, a former NATO director of policy planning. You could imagine uh, an agreement where Article 5 will only apply to the non-contested uh, or the free uh, uh, Ukrainian territory, those under the control of Kiev, uh, whilst those that are still contested, uh, either by military means or politically, diplomatically, uh, will be left outside uh, the, the purview of Article 5. So I think this is, this is a more realistic scenario, but this is exactly why I think the argument is to say, let's start that process in Vilnius. NATO allies will also try to agree on a new investment pledge to spend at least 2% of their annual gross domestic product on defence amid concerns some members are failing to meet the target.
Meanwhile, Sweden's application to join NATO, submitted jointly with Finland in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, continues to be blocked by Turkey, which accuses Stockholm of harbouring what Ankara sees as Kurdish terrorists. Allies are hoping for a breakthrough at the summit. NATO recognised China as a challenge to its security and values for the first time at last year's summit. Western allies are unlikely to change that stance, says Potier. However, I think what will be uh, to important in Vilnius is the, the meeting with the uh, uh, non-NATO heads of states from the Indo-Pacific regions, South Korea, Japan, uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia, which I think will signal further how engaged uh, the alliance is, at least at the political level, with the like-minded partners in the region. NATO allies will also address new and emerging threats, including climate change, cyber and space technologies. Henry Ridgewell for VUA News, London. Finnish and Swedish membership is expected to help NATO redress its vulnerability in Northwest Europe as the alliance reshapes its defense strategy in the face of Russia and its war on Ukraine. Matthew Loratonda with Reuters has the details on Sweden's state-of-the-art submarine fleet. If Sweden joins NATO, it's going to help the military alliance address its vulnerabilities in Northern Europe. This is one of the key reasons why country's world-leading submarine fleet, which has some traits that both Russia and the U.S. Navy are lacking. Reuters has been granted rare access to Sweden's sub-fleet, which experts say could be a game-changer for NATO. And with neighboring Finland having joined in April, we'll take a look at how this expanded alliance may reshape Europe's security map. The first issue? Sweden and the Baltic Sea itself waterways shared with Russia, and it's a strategically important one, with access to ports in eight countries, including Germany. It's also where vital undersea infrastructure runs, including the incident in 2022, where one of the Nord Stream gas pipelines was destroyed. Captain Frederick Linden is the commander of Sweden's first submarine flotilla, and this is his sub, HMS Gotland. The Baltic Sea is a very, as I said, it's a multi-domain area. Uh, it also can be easily described with, with what we call the five seas. Confined, confused, contested, congested, and, and, and cluttered. Uh, it's a very busy area. A lot of areas where, where, where we can hinder the, 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 the opponent to, to, to move about on their own free will. So, so I would say that uh, with five submarines, you can easily constrain the movements to, of, of your opponent. Additionally, the Baltic has an average depth of only about 100 feet, which is too shallow for the nuclear subs of the U.S. Navy and most of Russia's fleet to operate effectively in. That's where Sweden's fleet comes in. Gotland-class subs are among the most advanced non-nuclear subs in the West, they run on diesel, but can stay submerged for significantly longer than most other conventional models and reduce the risk of detection. Further down the line, Sweden's building even more advanced subs, dubbed the A-26. Two are expected to be delivered in four or five years. What about Finland? When it joined NATO, it brought the alliance a massive new northern border with Russia and the infrastructure, such as roads and railways, to move troops around that territory. In May, Finland hosted its first Arctic military exercises as a NATO member. This is Major General Gregory Anderson of the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division. 
I can tell you as a military professional, the ability to move equipment and soldiers and ammunition and supplies in a rapid, organized way, an efficient way is really important. It gives you lots of options uh, into how you employ your forces. So any infrastructure that can enable the rapid movement of forces, uh, whether it be ports, airfields, railways, highways, all this stuff is significant to warfare. The timing is a challenge for NATO. According to a think tank in Helsinki, the Finnish Institute of International Affairs, Western armed forces are about 10 years behind Russia in the Arctic, which has been steadily building up and fortifying its presence there. The think tank also says that even taking into account Russia's losses in Ukraine, its northern fleet and bombers are intact. Finland's investing about $163 million upgrading the home base of its Arctic Air Force for it to host half the country's new fleet of F-35 fighter jets. Russia's defense ministry did not respond to a request for comment. Matthew Loratanda reporting for Reuters. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Dozens of people with flowers, many unable to hold back tears, bid farewell Tuesday to an award-winning Ukrainian writer who was among those killed by a June 27th Russian missile attack on a popular restaurant in eastern Ukraine. The memorial service for Victoria Amelina was held in the crowded main hall of St. Michael's Cathedral in Kiev. Amelina died in a hospital from injuries sustained in the strike on the restaurant, which was frequented by journalists and aid workers in the city of Kramatorsk. Twelve other people also lost their lives in the attack. Meanwhile, the Kremlin denies it targeted civilians in that June 27th missile strike in Kramatorsk. Polygraph Info says that's a lie. On June 27th, a Russian missile strike hit a restaurant in Kramatorsk, a Ukrainian controlled city in eastern Ukraine, near Russian occupied territory. Moscow's own top propagandist, Olga Skabeva, confirmed that Russia had fired the missiles, claiming the strike was on legitimate military targets. Responding to international outrage over Russia striking civilians in Kramatorsk, Dmitry Peskov, Russian President Vladimir Putin's press secretary, said, The Russian Federation does not strike at civilian infrastructure. The strikes are at objects that are in one way or another connected with the military infrastructure. That is false. The primary missile strike hit Ria Lounge, a popular downtown Kramatorsk pizza restaurant frequented by journalists, aid workers, and Ukrainian soldiers. As of June 29th, Ukraine's state emergency service confirmed 12 people had been killed and 60 injured in the strike, including 14-year-old twin sisters and a 17-year-old. Under the walls of war, the fact that soldiers have frequented Ria Lounge as customers does not make it a legitimate military target. This is not the first time Russia has been accused of targeting civilians in Kramatorsk. In April 2022, an alleged Russian missile strike on Kramatorsk railway station killed 63 people. The Kremlin systematically and falsely claims it only targets military and energy facilities in Ukraine. Russia has repeatedly targeted Ukraine's civilian infrastructure, including by bombing shelters, hospitals, and even a maternity ward.
Polygraph Info is a fact-checking website produced by Voice of America. The website serves as a resource for verifying the increasing volume of disinformation and misinformation being distributed and shared globally. A team of volunteer doctors from the United States is joining with Polish and Ukrainian colleagues to help heal the scars of some of Ukraine's children. The children are undergoing much-needed surgeries that have not been available in Ukraine since the start of Russia's full-scale invasion. The procedures are free of charge. Correspondent Lizia Bagalets visited a hospital in Lechna, Poland, where it's all happening, and brings us this report. At the end of the corridor in Ward 10, 16-year-old Yehor from the central Ukrainian city of Alexandria is waiting for surgery. Doctors will fix scars in his neck. He cannot move his head well because of them. His mother, Tetyana, is at his side. Everything will be fine, my son. Don't worry. Yegor has many tattoos. They partially cover the scars left after an incident four years ago. I was 12 years old when I received an electric shock of 27,000 volts. 55% of my body was burned. Yegor couldn't even count how many surgeries he has had. But from the beginning of the war in Ukraine, the boy has had none. We don't have planned operations in Ukraine now because the war started and almost all hospitals are filled with military personnel, so there are only emergency surgeries. So when Tatiana heard about the initiative involving American doctor Gennady Fuzailov, she immediately submitted an application. Gennady Fuzailov is the founder of the organization Doctors Collaborating to Help Children. Since 2010, he has been traveling to Ukraine to operate on children with burn injuries for free. This year, because of the war, Dr. Fuzailov found an opportunity to bring his team of 11 specialists to Poland. I'm very proud of my team. These people are very ambitious, productive, great surgeons who practice at Harvard and Michigan Medical School, two leading schools in America, and they took vacations to come here. Surgeon David Brown has been working with Fuzailov for almost 10 years. The work is crucial, he says, because the children's burn injuries require constant new surgeries. Because as they grow, the scars don't grow. And so the scars squeeze and restrict how they can move their arms or use their hands or open their mouths. It's, it's not just about how the scars look, which is terrible, but it's um, even more important how, how the child can move their arms and their legs and get around in society. Doctors have operated on 19 children from different regions of Ukraine. Five to six surgeries were performed on each patient, and if it were not such a set of surgeons that we brought, we would not be able to perform such complex operations on the hands, on the suturing of the nerves, tendons. From transportation to housing to food, Dr. Fuzailov's organization paid for everything. The Polish hospital in Lechna was responsible for medical care. We give them access to our operating rooms, to our wards, and we are providing medical staff to take care of the patients in pre, uh, pre-operative and post-operative periods. 
We took a great part of costs and hospital is paying for this and Polish government is paying for this. Ukrainian doctors take care of the rehabilitation of young patients after surgery. Plastic surgeon Artem Posunko has treated many of them at a hospital in the Ukrainian city of Dnipro. Four other Ukrainian doctors traveled to Poland with him. To him, the exchange of expertise is priceless. We read the same books and articles, but they do something differently than we do. How can you reduce the time of the operation? How can you do less trauma and do exactly what was planned? This is very important, first of all, for our young patients. All three teams of doctors, US, Polish and Ukrainian, say that logistics proved to be the most challenging part of this mission. But the process has already been worked out, so all participants hope to perform the operations next year. Lesia Bakalets for VOA News, Lechna, Poland. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. This is the voice of America. Washington, Bob, 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 Zip, D.C.